Don't be expecting too much from me on this. I'm a bit baffled still. Right, that's literally the first thing that's said on the podcast now. Maybe I John, I'm, I'm just being rendered senseless, gobsmacked, discombobulated after having just endured, endured is the word, the Pet Shop Boys film. It couldn't happen here. Well, Joe, can I shock you? Please do. I enjoyed that movie. That was the smelling salts I needed to come yeah, back yeah, to yeah, my yeah, senses. That's not true. I didn't. No, I know but, not. But for the purposes <laughs> of this, I did enjoy it. If this was on screen, you could see me going, wah, in a double take style. <laughs> Um, I've written a lot of notes, so if you want any backstory on anything in the film, no, because you were helpfully you were helpfully pointing out during the film what was going on, because myself and Sue hadn't a bloody clue what was going on from beginning to end. I've now seen it three times, and that's three times more than anyone needs to see it. Sometimes I'm not sure if you are kind enough to yourself. <laughs> Give yourself a hug. I've got a lot of issues I need to work <laughs> through here. Um, it seemed like a great idea when you said you recently acquired it. Yeah, it seemed like a very jolly idea to go. I think and watch a, it, I think it was a Catholic education. There's a lot of stuff to work through. There's a lot of process. Well, I was faced with a choice at a difficult age. Yeah, <laughs> this of course is the 1987 film that the Pet Shop Boys put out in lieu of going on tour, which is one of the great marketing decisions of all time. I mean, well, what? Who do you think their <laughs> fan base is? That they thought, well, what we'll do? We'll send, instead of going on tour yeah. and doing live gigs. For all our fans to come to and see us and enjoy. To listen to our jolly pop hits. Yeah. We'll, we'll make them a really overlong, boring, surrealist movie. Um, which is like a plotless, picaresque tale about who we are. Literally nothing happens in it. It's like a sixth form drama class running wild with, with the costume box and the improv. It's both undercooked and overcooked, underacted and overacted at the same time. Baffling. I wasn't even sure I'd be able to do a podcast on it I, think, I don't know what happens I think I've witnessed today some of the longest scenes ever committed to celluloid literally hours of one scene so I, I you know it, it is a remarkable film you, you, I think I'm safe in saying that remarkable doing a lot of heavy lifting there isn't it <laughs> it's saying a lot of things so, yeah remarkable as in I don't know the actions of Jeffrey Dahmer or how he, how he got away with it they are remarkable Dennis Nilsson, yeah. what a remarkable man. As in the number of lives that were taken when the bomb dropped at Hiroshima. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a remarkable death. Remarkable. Or what a remarkable death, Abbas, as right. the boy once so bad. We're slightly overegging the pudding. This isn't yeah. as bad as Hiroshima. Isn't um, it, John? Isn't it, though? What this is, is an achingly... I don't like the word pretentious, so I'm not going to use it. Do you know what it does have in common with Hiroshima? Go on, then. Both Hiroshima and this film ended an imperial phase of a particular entity. One was Japan, the other was the Pet Shop Boys. They never came back. Okay, so that's a very clever comment, Joe. Thank you very much. Because Neil Tennant invented Hiroshima. The no- Hiroshima. Hiroshima. I don't know. Yeah, you're right, possibly. Yeah. Well, who knows? Because if you say 
Hiroshima Mon Amour, yeah. it sounds weird. But it scans better if you're singing. Yeah, but Hiroshima Mon Amour. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Uh, he invented the phrase imperial phase. That's a great line. He invented the phrase imperial phase. Yes, it, it, it's, um, it's become part of um, the language. It's become a pop discourse. Yeah. Um, pop parlance. Uh, but it's interesting that this film is basically anticipating the end of the Pet Shop Boys imperial phase. Like Hiroshima. And I, think, I think they're did. aware of that. Japanese Empire. Yeah. Two empires crumbling through a grand folly. Again, to call Hiroshima a folly. That was it, like your victim blaming Japanese <laughs> We've just been talking about the Eternals movie before this, so that's why Hiroshima is fresh on my mind. Yeah. My God, that poor man. Don't blame yourself. Oh, come on, Fastos. It wasn't your problem. <laughs> oh, it was. It's all my fault. I should never give him those bipolar monkeys fire. What was I thinking? Four bipolar monks. Who may feature in it, not sexy nuns. Well, yeah, definitely clergy of some There's an awful lot of uh, sexy nuns. Ecclesiates. Um, which I think obviously goes back to uh, the Catholic education of Neil Tennant. <laughs> there was a glut of sexy nuns. Famously. At the Christian Brothers the, School. Uh, the, uh, famously, the, um, the school that he attended uh, had a go at him in the press. I think, I, I think basically for being gay. All right, not which, for it. Song, it's no, a sin. No, no, no. Well, possibly because of that as well, yeah. Um, Catholic Church claps back. Exactly. But John, before we go any further, could you, in your inimitable, easy for me to say, inimitable way, explain what the film is in a couple of sentences? Can you? Is it possible? No, it's not possible. But I'll give it a go, Joe. Please I'm do. That kind of guy. Um, right. So the opening scene of this is is on the beach of uh, Clacton on Sea, um, and we see a couple of workmen building a trench on the beach that slowly tracks into a muscle man doing some poses. Of course. And um, a, a southern youth holding a giant white flag. Then Arlene Phillips leading a troupe of dancers. Right. The whole scene is um, just viewed by Neil Tennant in the evening dress. Um, and that's sort of appreciated the entire film. It's basically that. A yep. long, long tracking shot of a load of nonsense um, that looks like it might be vaguely strikingly symbolic. unassociated. Um, Seems profound, yeah, because the chance you assume that the filmmakers know what they're doing. We assume that it's got a point, but it turned out very quickly it was yeah. just a bunch of gratuitous stuff happening on a screen. And three, three meaty rules by Gareth Hunt. It was like, yeah, it was my, it was like a, a, a surrealist primer. My first surrealism, you know, it looked like surrealism. But there was nothing there. It was mm. surface. And I don't mind that, you know, because it came out in the 80s, 1987. Yeah. It had that sort of glossy veneer. Um, looks like shit advertising. But you're not really aware of what it's advertising. But they did that a lot then. Look at the silk cut adverts. Mm. It's, it's like a long form. It's a long time ago. Two right? hours silk cut advert. You go, hmm, that's fascinating. It, it really is. It could have been anything from a bank advert to one of those ads supporting yeah. the AIDS. Uh, here's an iceberg, here's a flag, here's yeah. a sad face, here's we Gareth Hunt. Ready to order, sir. Ready. Egg. Beans. And chips. Two sausages, one large, one small, to mock. <laughs> Tomato, bacon, a fried slice, and extra. 
anything to drink? A cup of tea. The tea? The tea. The tea's nice. And I will say, John, before I exhaust the words Gareth Hunt, I've only ever seen Gareth Hunt in the New Avengers and the Maxwell, is it the Maxwell House ads, the Nescafe yeah. ads? It's like I've been waiting all my life for a Gareth Hunt and suddenly three come along at once. Yeah, he's like three terrible buses just rocking up at the precinct. But he's showing his full range. Three entirely different characters. <laughs> Each with a different catchphrase. Here's the thing. I think they're all meant to be versions of the same character in this film. You're reading too much into they're this. All, no, because like I said, at the start of the film, right, so the narrative spine of this film is um, Neil Tennant writing letters, writing postcards yeah. to his mother. See, I missed that at the start. Yeah. Well, you do a lot of talking. That, You're interacting with the film. I liked it. It was good. Yeah. Narrative spine? That's That may, <laughs> that may be slightly stressing it. Like a, a cinematic crustacean. does not have a backbone. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cinematic... Arthropod. That's exactly is what yeah. it is. Um, trailer bites compare pink lyrics. Well, parts. It, do, it does have a sort of narrative <laughs> as well, it, but it's like dream logic. There's no. But dream logic is no logic, and you, John, are doing the heavy lifting for the Petro well, Boys. You're just, you're just throwing Freud out the room now. You know, I'm please. The, the whole 20th century's gone. I'm throwing him out with the bathroom. There is a sort of <laughs> shunting dream logic yeah. where one scene drifts into another scene, yeah. and that's exactly what happens in this film. I think. However. Yes. In the opening sequence, where Neil is at um, Gareth Hunt's booth, well, Gareth, Hunt, <laughs> well, Gareth Hunt is leering at naked women through opera glasses or uh, up, uh, doing sort of weird upskirts that you well, wouldn't get away with. Well, there's two naked ladies on uh, Clacton Beach. Yeah, in the eighties. Yeah, in I, the middle of possibly winter. I think must have had to do that at like five in the morning because it's illegal. Um, I think. I think. And also, nipple- it added nothing to the film, which it was really weird. You've got a naked lady right at the start. Well, here, and then here we go. No John. further naked ladies. Might it be gratuitous? I think it was gratuitous, Joe. Like pretty much every scene in the film. 15 student art films. So you have Biggles playing Pac Man for 10 minutes. That'll do for 10 minutes. <laughs> was it Pac Man? I think it might have been Pac Man. Right. Because uh, we did discuss that. We did, we did. Peggy, Peggy Mitchell, not Peggy Mitchell, sorry. Barbara Windsor. I'm getting carried away between the lines of reality and fiction. They've confused me with their dream world. Peggy Mitch, I said it again. Barbara Windsor um, does a scene with Neil Tennant. They're phoning always on my mind to each other. The lyrics are always on my mind yeah. to each other. Well, five tattooed skinhead types yeah. harangue Neil Tennant in a phone box. One who has a swell sticker on his face, another with a spider web, and one has East End Boy. But it's that thing that they do where they just do like It's the laziest thing in the world. They do an inversion. Yeah. So it's like. You'd think these toughs are going to beat up uh, flamboyant homosexual male tenant but in his evening dress, but they don't. Wait a minute, though, John. It's like when you go into a greasy scoop spoon cafe yeah. Joe, and they order moon oyster- in the air. <laughs> yeah, oysters and, and lemon salt and uh, ready to order. Right. Um, we'll start with the oysters. Then, um, like the fillet of sole, um, Belgique. Fillet of sole, Belgique? Anything to drink? The Chateau Latour, 1942. The 
1942. Nice year. I think I remember going to a drama workshop where that was the thing. Mm. Imagine you're eating in a greasy spoon, but wait, the menu is a la carte. Go for it! Only it's done by men in their 30s. And how old was the director? He was about 48. I was a big fan of the Pet Shop Boys growing up, always in my mind. It was my favourite single when I was a kid. If I'd seen that film when it came out, I don't think we'd be talking about this film now. I would not be a fan. <laughs> Imagine going to see that, expecting the shiny popness. And even though they have a... This is something else altogether. While Joss Ackland and Gareth Hunt are busy chewing scenery, Neil Tennant is literally lisping his lyrics under his breath. Well, I, I always thought, because I'd, s- I'd seen the uh, Always On My Mind video. Yes. That I knew what it was. Just lifted straight out of the film. Because, yeah, it's, it's basically a compendium of clips from the film. But it really doesn't give you an idea no. about how formless and windy this piece of shit is. It's extraordinary. I've seen the Always in My Mind video. It seems charmingly eccentric. Surely that's the tone of the film. Joss Ackland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Funny ad libs in the back, dressed as a police. A man with a zebra face wielding a zebra on a train station. She, Crazy. She, she really have sex with Jewish cowboys. So I called myself Roy Brownstein or something. Bucky terrible. Goldstein. Bucky Goldstein, Roy Brownstein. Roy I fluffed, I fluffed it. The one line. You tell um, gags worse than Joss Ackland. Yes, but that's, that's not a bad happened. thing. I don't know. Yes, Joss Ackland plays a blind, horny priest. Is that, would that be fair yeah. to say? Well, that's Neil Tennant's school days, I think. Being uh, writ large there. And, and the sexy nuns. That's all. That's all Tennant. Pretty um, sure that didn't happen in Neil Tennant's school days, though. There, there are several references made to W.H. Newton Smith's book, The Structure of Time. Yes. Um, I've got an interesting fact there. In 2003, Newton Smith and his wife Nancy were the first to grow lavender <laughs> on a field scale in Wales. In Wales, important caveat. They are now the sole distillers of lavender oil in Wales. These are current and currently alive people. Currently alive people, quite young. I thought he was like... Um, a 1930s, 1920s, obscure. That came out in the 80s. That book. That's a that's, a new, that's a new book. So well, they're, the, they're, the, they're quoting liberally from a book about the structure of time. Yeah. Basically, a ventriloquist dummy is doing an endless. And it's so boring. I just stop listening. In Gareth Hunt's voice, Hunt is sat looking like Olivier doing Richard the Third. And side order of beans. It's just a horrendous mess. It's like, let's throw something in the scene and see what sticks. And it's usually Gareth Hunt. What's his corny? Uncle Dredge. Oh. He, he, he's, a, he, he's the husband, potentially, it's one of, three of, of Barbara Windsor. Yes. This, this was Barbara Windsor's last film for 13 years, by the way. This, this was a warning from history for yeah. Barbara. Um, it took her that long in therapy to pick yeah. up. So, Just, I, I wonder she what closes her, her eyes every night and still sees Uncle Dredge. Yeah. Only a joke and no harm done. There's a sequence where he says that in one scene... Ten times. He basically does an Arthur Mallard about the dining area. <laughs> it's only a laugh, no harm done. <laughs> Sir, allow me to give you a cigarette. There we are, caught there. Allow me. Bang. <laughs> it's only a laugh, no harm done. Good morning, Vicar. Crucifying, isn't it? <laughs> it's only a laugh, no harm done. I 
my other guest being put off his appetite by that sort of behavior. Oh! Here he is. A joke, no harm done. That's actually one of the scenes I quite enjoyed. It becomes curiously, I don't know, I started laughing. It was so fucking ridiculous. I ended up quite enjoying that scene. It was the first time I had any reaction other than, you know, huh? It was just so ludicrously, you know, well, repetitive. I mean, it ended with uh, Chris Lowe throwing a fried breakfast over Barbara. I'm uh, having a hissy fit. I'm running in a which you very... enjoy jokes you hate women obviously that's what happened there well you know, you know. he throws it in her face says, yeah, you're or, or you hate Barbara Winter and then he runs out of the B&B and yeah. onto the road and then he somehow runs onto a main road wherein there's a bunch of angry bikers angry bikers so he's running away from these bikers and it really the way I used to run in school sports day it's not, it wasn't a pretty run at all with the flappy arms the flappy arms yeah. and these bikers obviously overtake him and then he keeps and then yeah but they do check out his arse there's a lot of arse checking there is a lot of that check out my arse I think they're watching his arse so they were, so they knew to avoid it a lot of leather man on leather man action there. yeah but the bit he's running away from the motorcycle he's brought it on himself he's ran onto the main road it's meant to be striking or something but it's so ludicrous I couldn't tell if it, I couldn't tell if it was like a Dexy's Midnight Runners riff because he's wearing that little hat you remember have you seen that film of Dexy's Midnight Runners doing their training <laughs> I've, seen, I've like, seen photographs of it that was yeah, enough Kevin's got them all out in track shorts over the tracksuits and they've got they've yeah. all got terrible moustache and stevedore hats up at five in the morning yeah with the cockerel yeah yeah a visible breast and a daily all, Thompson yeah. tracksuit and they've all been spending their advance and down the pub mm. and Kevin's like <laughs> it's basically that yes the drummer is lagging behind the others oh, yeah, you, is there any oh, wonder is there any wonder they all left oh he went to bed three weeks ago that entire band left Kevin Rowland yeah. not long after the hit singles weren't big enough of a payoff frankly um, uh, but yes it, was, it had shades of that bafflingly obtuse imagery that we interrogated which I made the mistake of doing several times I kept saying to you what's happening here as you said to me stop asking that question there's nothing to ask yeah, I mean, this is this this is a, you know, this is a Walter Boatman of a film. It's skimming across yeah. the top. But if stuff. you squint, it's got shades of Jarvis. If you try and break that surface away. tension, yeah. then you're going to be drowning in nonsense because a very thin skin yeah. is separating you from a world of bullshit. But if you squint, it has the superficiality of a whole bunch of kind of auteur cinematographers. It's really beautifully filmed. It always looks good. But it's in the service of nothing, of let's do a picture boys film. I can't believe there was actually a script and possibly drafted and redrafted. And Neil Tennant, you say he wrote one third of the script? Uh, apparently. To be fair, a lot of the script is his lyrics. Maybe I didn't treat you quite as good as I should have. Maybe I didn't love you quite as often as I could have. Little things I should have said and done. I never took the time. But you were always on my mind. You are always on my mind. Maybe I didn't hold you all those lonely, lonely times. And I guess I never told you. I'm so happy that you're mine. If I made you feel second best, I'm so sorry. Let's not forget the brief history of Tim or Time or whatever the fuck you Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of... Um... Uh, there's a lot of Milton in there and there's a lot of T.S. Eliot there's a lot the, so the, that's, so actually, that's a lot of gravy so, yeah so actually a lot of the writing if there's any writing done isn't them writing it 
just scene after scene after scene. What's happening in this? Oh, Chris is putting a lot of stuff in his, into his strangely large suitcase. That'll do. That's ten minutes of... All right. the, the very fact Neil Tennant wrote a third of it, to my mind, suggests I'm like an exquisite corpse. Yeah. Here's no, my bit. Yeah, yeah. It's your turn now. Then someone does the next third. And God help us, maybe Gareth Hunt did the final third. No, it'd be Neil Dixon did the final third. What's his name? The, the guy who played Biggles? Oh, um, Neil Dixon. Neil Dixon, yeah. The, the, the one who I kept asking, is that Neil Dixon? Yeah, yeah. Is that Neil Dixon? You couldn't wait for Neil Dixon to turn up, and then Neil Dixon turned up. Yeah. Tell him why you like Neil Dixon. Well, I didn't know I liked Neil Dixon until I realised who Neil Dixon was. Halfway through the film, Neil Dixon finally appears. He's the guy who played Biggles yeah. in the ill-fated Biggles movie, which I think I'm right in thinking that I might have been one of the few people in Northern Ireland to go to the cinema to see Not Biggles. just in Northern Ireland, Joe. Just <laughs> anywhere. God. No one saw this film. <laughs> I remember the cinema being quite sparsely attended. I don't even think anyone went with me. I, I, I don't know if I've even seen this film. Has, has it got time travel in it? You have seen this I film. I think maybe I have them. I saw it recently on Channel 5. It's every bit as bad as <laughs> I... saw it Channel 5 yeah, in the afternoon. afternoon. I, no, I, I, I stayed up late. Boy, oh boy, what a treat. It's appalling. It has a theme song written by John Deacon of Queen. That's, well, that's, that, you say that's appalling. That's obviously a plus. That might have been the reason I saw it, because I was a big Queen fan back in 1985. Again, n- not surprised. I'll give them bloody teacups, buckets and shells, and silly buckets. Numbers must add up. Two and two is four. Right, let's restore some bloody logic. Shells, buckets and teacups, silly buckers. What about mowing the lawn? Contact! What about? What about the mortgage? Two and two is either four or two up, two down. Divided by, divided by, divided by, divided by, divided by, bandit in 52, Paul Zephyr. They believe in buckets and spies. Get em! Divided by, divided by. He's wearing the Biggles outfit in the Pet Shop Boys film for no discernible reason. See, I read up on this before I watched it, and I was there's a there's a there's a film called Bullshot. Have you seen that? Uh, it rings a bell. And there's a guy in it who looks like a sort of. It's one syllable out from what the couldn't what the Petra Boys film yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, one vowel out from what the Petra Boys film is. <laughs> yeah, not not a syllable. I fluffed the wit. Dave Gorman's writer demands were extremely extensive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. He's dressed as Biggles playing Pac-Man in the cafe scene, which goes on for... There are a lot of scenes that go on for a very long time. You said the the opening passage of the film describes it with the panning shots. There's no panning shots after that. There is. There's the, the, the railway section right at the end. It's like The Last of England by Derek and Jarman. Call the Mid- and, Maybe and it's Call the Midway. And, and is the nicest <laughs> part of the film. Um, has tracking shots galore. And, it, and, and if the whole film had been like that, sort of elegiac and and uh, cool yeah. then it might have been a film but is that enough but what it's, is that enough to sustain it, something that has does, no, no it, plot what it does is just have a series of unrelated scenes yeah. with somebody mugging and the Pet Shop Boys just standing there like idiots the weird thing about the that's Pet Shop Boys that's all that happens in this they film. seem like, they seem like um, unwelcome guests in their own film yeah it's very bizarre they're like 
I guess they thought they were like the calm epicenter of this hurricane of, loving, of lovingness. Because they're obviously their images that they, uh, you yeah, know, every, uh, I think they're yawning on the front of pleas and stuff like yeah. that. And it's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Which is great. That, that's a wonderful affectation for a pop band. But it won't sustain a film. No, no. <laughs> I mean, if you're the star of the film. It's almost like they took, it was almost like a sick, in a way it's a version of that 60s craze for putting pop bands in films. Well, Be yourselves, boys, in the film. Unfortunately, the Pet Shop Boys being themselves is two taciturn, uncommunicative, surly individuals. That doesn't work. It's not the Dave Clark Five. Hop, skipping and a jumping yeah, down yeah, Barbie yeah. Street. I mean, did you know that the that the uh, um, the working title for the film was uh, A Hard Day's Shopping? Oh. Which is a much better title. It's a great title, but yeah. somehow it doesn't deserve that title. Yeah. No, it doesn't live up to it. They don't go shopping for a no, start. No, no, no. Also, I think it could happen here. On reflection, perfectly describes that film. I took the liberty of doing my own research last night. I listened to Actually again. Okay, that's not research. I was just putting myself in the, in the zone. That's a pleasant thing you like to do. It was hugely enjoyable. I forgot what a great album it was and how, how much I loved it. And then I saw the film with the same songs in the film. Yeah. And the songs, they kind of... It was so the film was so baffling and overloaded with stuff and so just just what WTF uh, that the songs dissolved into the background. They're like wallpaper. They're like Indian wallpaper. Yeah. There's a scene where the uh, Neil Dixon has Biggles. It's like a, a biplane. He's a, he's in a biplane. A Union Jack biplane. A Union Jack biplane with, with and he's machine gunning the petrol. Doing boys. yeah victory rolls over Big and Hill. To like an eighties Casio beats of some petrol boys album track from Please I think. And it's just the most ugly uh, uh, kind of juxtapose of music. I've never heard the Petro Boys sound so disappointingly thin. And, and it's the, the context of that film, I, mean, I can basically understand why they lost fans Yeah. after that, because it's not a film. And what were they thinking? How does that replace going on tour? How is this in any way, you know, uh, akin to going on tour? I mean... It's insanity. Joe. They had management. Yeah. Nobody leaned in and said, what you're doing is a bad idea. Could it be that they... You should go out on the road and yeah. connect with your fan base and give them what they actually want. They made films later on for their live shows. Yes. Because they eventually count out and did them. Yeah. The fucking Derek Jarman. But which also... Is, which is what this wants to be and totally isn't. Like, but this was almost like... Um, it's like you... you like so many people, you meet someone in a relationship... And they're all sweetness and lights. So they're putting their best face on. Yeah. And so, as soon as they, as soon as you're in a relationship, the mask slips. That was that. That was what this film was. Two albums of. of I, I think you've betrayed yourself utterly there, Joe. Well, I was speaking as a woman. <laughs> I, I, was, I was inhabiting. Uh, you were speaking as a woman. Yeah, I, I was inhabiting the role can't, of can't a, you know, all women. You know. Right. You're um, every woman. It's, <laughs> it's, you. it's all of me. Yeah. I can read your thoughts right now, John. Actually, you're pretty safe. Uh, well. Right now you're thinking about Gareth Hunt <laughs> as a horny newspaper vendor. Nowadays all you get is your hooligans and your bike gangs and your politicians. Yes. Your decent English holidaymaker. They all go to Spain. Just the dredges come down in there. And the worst of them all is your politicians. They're the worst bunch of all, they are. Pretending to go on conferences and the like. All they really want 
It's a week away from the wife. Could I have a cup of tea as well, please? Honey? Oh. Right. Hang on. You're not one of them politicians, are you? No. Oh. That's all right, then. It's directed by a bloke called Jack Bond, who is... Who was... He was 48, 40. I think, when he mentioned so the same age as my dad. Older than me. It's thematically consistent with his career. I've got a review of an earlier film by Bond uh, called Anti-Clock, um, which concludes, This film will be hard to review, as I just couldn't come to any clear conclusions on the film's point or theme. It's consistent. Buzz bobbing boy, look. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I was baffled. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. He had form. He had form. He, had, he had a really interesting career. He did a lot of stuff for the South Bank show. He did a lot of stuff. Actor, writer called Jane Arden. He was a radical feminist. They made interesting films. But this, this, is, this was this, not one of this them. This isn't it. This, is, this looks like an advert. Uh, an advert that lasts an hour and a half. It, but it looks like an advert from the late 80s. It does, even though the Vetra Boys were always ironic commenting on the rise of Thatcherism and stuff like that. This film is a perfect uh, exemplar of the rottenness of, yeah. of, the, of the Thatcher age. The very fact that it exists yeah. is exactly what you're talking about. Because yeah. it couldn't exist now. It no couldn't, one would it couldn't happen here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this time. Years and years couldn't make this film. They were basically given millions of pounds to do Would you like an answer? Thing. <laughs> oh, do you like Go given that freedom and that power. And they mistakenly, oh, oh, oh. I'll, I'll go back to the fact that the Patcher Boys were always an art band, masquerading yeah. as a pop band. Yeah. And this is where they came out too quick, if you excuse the expression, going from cuddly granddads. Going from, okay. I don't think that Neil Tennant in his 30s is cuddly granddads. Maybe it's like, okay, it's, it's like one day you're. Poor Neil. Day you're, the hair then. One day your lovable uncle Frankie wears parties and slippers, visiting he's wearing a full leather gimp outfit. It's that violent to change. This is, yeah, this film is Grandad's Gimp Out. Yeah. Thank, thank you for going along with that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. In a way, though, I think that's great. But Grandad lost a lot of fans. Uh, he, you know, he couldn't go back to the tea dance. From M&S to S&M. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he stole the Christmas Club money. I think, no, I think to pay for it. Fucking wrong. In, in a way, I think it's amazing that this film exists. A, that they thought it was a good idea. B, they got the money together to do it. Well, it was their C, imperial fears. that they could, they could want to do this and be pleased enough with it to show it to people. That's like every arts undergraduate I've ever met. Yeah. Do you want to see my new film? Joe, you, you, I just had a film out. I didn't do that to you. Did, I, I didn't go, you've got to come and see my... I mean, I would, I would have done. I went to my own volition, Joe. If you actually didn't go of your own volition, it would be in your inbox gathering dust right now. Didn't get it? I must have went straight I, to spam. I haven't, why haven't you watched my film, Joe? Why haven't yeah. you watched my film, Joe? You actually literally saw me watching your film. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Front, I made sure you were, I was in front of you so you could see me looking at it. Yeah, I'm definitely watching this, John. With, with your recent filmmaking experience... You have a, a fresh pair of directorial eyes to, to gaze right, on. Yeah, I do, yeah. You said some of the composition was quite striking. <laughs> it's a beautifully constructed The mise-en-scene. In, in oh, boy. In, in terms of how it's filmed, it's glorious. Yeah, some but of the this composition is found, fantastic. This is where you find filmmaking chops you're deploying here. Yeah, but equally, equally, there are scenes in the biplane that go on for fucking ten minutes, and you know they're doing that because they spent yeah. the money on the biplane, and they've got these aerial film shots, so you're going to get to see them. There are scenes in the Bible because, that are shorter, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I think that might have been how he was paid. He was paid in, in Bigel's leathers. Yeah, paid, certainly paid in, <laughs> possibly air miles. 
But uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's glorious to look at. There's some fantastic shots whoa, whoa, of the John. sea. Don't go that too opening far. sequence um, of uh, Neil Tennant riding his bicycle. That's a lovely shot of Neil Tennant bicycle. If that was just what it was, if it was a series of short pop videos, yeah, I sort of understand it. A bit dated, but string all that together. Dated. I mean, it's nineteen eighty-seven, and they're doing the recreating effectively the cover of "Wish You Were Here." Halfway through it, there's a rip of hypnosis. Yeah, Roger Waters. Roger Waters with a sons of Roger Waters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, if you asked them, they would think that would be the most Horrif- horrible thing. Horrifying. The yeah, they would be galled by the notion, but they yeah. really are. This is son of the wall. Um, which is a terrible thing because they were going to do a sequel and everything and yeah, it was yeah. petered out because I think maybe everyone went to see this and went, never do that again. Son ne- of the guys, Wall. Guys, yeah. never do that. Never do Son of the Wall again because, I don't know, it's just, I really wanted to like it as well, Joe. So, I've, well, I was I've actually, seen it three times now. Do you know, John, during lockdown, I was, when it first came out, I was so excited. I was going to pay 45 English pounds to acquire the Blu-ray immediately. Yep. Luckily, I got distracted. Thanks, thanks, ADHD. And I forgot to actually <laughs> the fulfill. The keeps on giving. Yeah, could complete the purchase. So I was quite excited when you told me. What did you get instead? Uh, who, who knows now? <laughs> Bat in the ball. Bat in the ball. Malice in Wonderland starring Danny Dyer was one of the DVDs I bought, I think. Uh, it was in the, going in the bundle in the pound shop, my oh, local oh, pound shop. Oh, you didn't get clean away then. I mean, you have that, don't you? That sounds like collateral damage. I've not seen Malice in that. I've got uh, a film by Danny Dyer um, called Outlaw. Oh, my brother bought me. Thanks, Edward. Um, I'm going to think your brother doesn't like you. He bought me the Horn and Corden DVD. He bought me the Boris Johnson novel, Seventy Six Virgins. Nick Hornby's anti-Muslim screed. Seventy Six Virgins. I'm going to turn the box by Second Class Post. Mm. (laughs) So yeah, you're you're right. Seventy Six Virgins by Boris Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, we have no marketing clout, so nobody's going to go out and buy that. After it's mentioned on our podcast. You know the worst thing? I told him it existed because he got me good presents this year. And I was like, thank God you didn't get me some shit. And then in an unrelated email, I I found out about this book that he'd done and uh, told Edward. And like a week later, it arrived in my house. That's kind of how my mum buys presents. I remember you mentioned Thin Lizzy once. Here's Thin Lizzy's collected works. Yeah, but I think she does that out of love rather than... Madness. Well, who, who, the jury's out. I literally remember about six months before <laughs> Christmas, I happened to mention Alan Carr, and I think I was talking about how he hated his, his show. But did he give up smoking, yeah? Well, what did I get for Christmas? The comedian Alan Carr's autobiography. And did that help me give up smoking, John? If anything, my smoking increased. Yeah, but it would do, yeah. No, my brother does it solely out of malice. In Wonderland? It, it is. That's right. That'll be in the post now. Does this year I got a globe. I'm very pleased. Well, that's quite charming it and is, also it's good, quite yeah. useful. I now know where things are. They go on pointless. To do what? Point to the globe? What? To, no, to answer questions about geography. About pointless countries? What countries are pointless? No, that's not how pointless works. I still haven't worked out how pointless works. Oh. After all these years, I get easily confused by pointless. It's counterintuitive. Right. And I'm no to, Richard Osman. You have to second guess what you think most people are going to say and then not say that say another thing that's how the script was written for a shit that couldn't happen here I think that's exactly right <laughs> the most pointless script pointless. of all time yeah, yeah. I'm surprised Pet Boys haven't used pointless as an album title well, is it too on the nose do you they, think their careers are <laughs> yeah. Let, let's, let's face it they're, they're self deprecating but don't fucking push it I, th- <laughs> I think they'd have to give money to Richard Osman let's face it he doesn't need it he's a very canny businessman he's very canny yeah do you think he writes those books like those, those trashy potboilers that his cosy his cosy killers for white centrist dads 
I think it's more for ladies. Or the sex scene? No. But where, where were you getting these ideas from? No, I thought his books were like uh, a, a they're version. Like, they're like Agatha Raisin. Mark Gatiss is Lucifer Barks. No, they're nothing stuff. like that. They're like old the covers people. are just the covers are confusing then. They're, 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 they're like kind of old people solving crimes. It's like really, yeah, lovely cuddly I've, stuff. I've misread Osmond's literary oeuvre. Oh my god! <laughs> if you're listening, Richard, are I know they you're... sexy? No, they're not. They're not sexy. If, I, I I know he's not listening, but just in case he is, I'm sorry for getting your oeuvre wrong. Oh, he's listening. <laughs> oh yeah. Osman's listening. He listens to everything. They always open here yeah. of, of, of Sauron. He doesn't miss a fucking thing. The only thing he's not listening to? That last suede album. Ooh, mate. Burn! Oh, it's going to be a tough Christmas next year. Matt, if you're listening, chat it out with him. Hug it out. Chat still, it out. still love you, Matt. Yep. Keep, keep that flame alive. Yep, yep. Love you guys. Animal Nightbreed, boys. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> oh, one of more recent songs. There are others. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what they are. It, well, if you ask me, Gold Black Mornings, great read. Love it, Brett. Thanks. Apparently, it's a great read. Yes, apparently. But I've got it upstairs. Do you want to borrow it? I'd love to. I think someone bought it Hang for on. Christmas, but it wasn't. You're Edward. lending me something. Yeah. Wow. Will I let it? Will a moment's pause? I've just given you a film, to, two films to watch. But that was specifically something purchased. You're spontaneously going to lend me something. Well, could do. I know you're. Well, I'd be delighted. Thank you, John. I don't, don't have to. But no, no, know. and I, I don't want to make a thing out of the fact. You're lending me something? Are you full of yeah, largesse? That's what it sounded like. You're full of largesse, but I just know you like your things and you don't like to know, you know. I do like my things, but I know you're a suede fan. I know you enjoy... I won't rip the cover. Yeah, well, I'll say that. <laughs> I lent you this fucking Tascam once. Well, that's what I'm when saying. When I got it back, the back fell off. And I still It wasn't say, there. It didn't fall off. It wasn't there. It was brand new. At this day, I don't know what happened to the back. Well, I'll tell you what happened. You picked it off, yep. left it in an office, uh-huh. left the office for three or four days, you came back, you can... it was gone, and you went, oh, I don't know what's happened. Have you been spying on me? Yes. <laughs> I'm obsessed with you. My God. Why do you think I do this fucking shitty podcast? I've been podcast? in an air conditioning duct in your house oh for the last six God. months. It's that like... smell of we oh is me. It's like the notebook for the prostate cancer generation. I, I, that's a succession of ugly words to, to a sentence I don't know what's going on well I think on it's perfectly in keeping with the podcast about the Pet Shop Boys film I'm pretty sure Joss Ackland says that at some point <laughs> <laughs> my prostate it's like a grapefruit for some reason in the middle of the film they start driving a car together yeah. and they stop for a hitchhiker after having just heard on the radio that there is a mad murderous hitchhiker abroad frenziedly killing people and pretending to be blind in jumps Joss Ackland and then starts shouting Lucifer at the top of his head. And rather than stop the car and tell them to get out, they go, do I know you from somewhere? <laughs> oh, the lieutenant goes, you're very full of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, if, some, if I picked someone up, which I wouldn't do, I'd do it reluctantly, if, if someone made me do it in the car, and they started bellowing Lucifer in the back seat, my first lines wouldn't be, you're very full of yourself, or do I know you from somewhere? Go, Please get out of the car. Please get out of the car. Do you want money? Please get out of the car. Well, Joe, I'm going to use your word and, and say they're being puppish. <laughs> but not in Sousians. Yeah, Not in Sousians. No. Here is an urgent newsflash. Drivers in the region of the M40 should beware a stranger wearing dark glasses, a fawn raincoat, and carrying a battered suitcase. A killer who has savagely hacked to death three people who each in turn stopped to give him a lift. They were a chief accountant, a Morris dancer, and a nun from Our Lady of the Sorrows convent. The stranger has been known to masquerade as a priest wearing high-heeled shoes. Drivers are warned not to stop under any circumstances. 
I smell youth. You're very full of yourself, aren't you? Yeah. Some people do call me conceited. I can't think why. <laughs> no, I'm just tired. I've been up all night trying to round off the infinite. And Lucifer before the day doth go. Don't we know you? I don't know. I used to be blind. But then I started eating carrots. I still can't see during the day. Do you want a drink? No, thank you. That's very nice. Now, I'll get the waiter. Ah. Oh, I love the radio. I had a girlfriend once who used to sing on the radio. Every time she walked under a bridge, you couldn't hear her sing. <laughs> oh, she was a beautiful girl, very beautiful. When I first met her, she just beamed to a psychoanalyst. Yes, it didn't do her any good, she said. I asked her why. She said, I'm an infomaniac, you see. And I only get turned on by Jewish cowboys. I'm so sorry, I said. Let me introduce myself. My name is Bucky Goldstein. Bucky Goldstein. Bucky Goldstein. Bucky Goldstein. Are they big punkers? So it's hard to tell. This is where their deadpan um, shtick falls down. I went down unrelated. I went down so, well, related to Insouciance. Please finish that sentence. I went down <laughs> Sanssouci Avenue. Oh, Sanssouci, yes. Yeah. Park, yeah. Um, which I'd never heard of before. It's delightful. And, it's how uh, the other half lives. It's, it's near Paddy's. Without, without cares. It's near Paddy's. I knew Paddy would live in a place without cares. Paddy is so un... Uh, he, you know. By the way, we did the last one, which he said was unlistenable, which is quite right. I think um, that was his favourite one. No, that was the previous one. Bullock Quo one, the one where that's in a bus. But John, qualified the unlistenable before people think it was just a load of garbage we were talking. No, no, it was just... It was the just, wind. It was just wind. Not us, but the wind. You know, it was, it was windier than usual. Um, if you can imagine such a thing. But yeah, he's he's so posh. He actually lives... Oh, he lives in... I used to walk past that on my own way home. I feel maybe I shouldn't have said that because people go around his house. Yeah, now please don't go around the Paddy's house. Steal his things. Every posh person in my year at school lived in. He's got a nice house. Don't doubt it. Luckily, he doesn't listen to the. Sh- Hang on a minute. The only person who does listen to this. Him and Barry. Out of, out of Barry, Richard Osman, Paddy. We do a lot of shout outs. And Xander. And Xander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your brother Edward. I think Paddy's the only one who's going to be calling back on. On this podcast, something tells me. Yeah, we should probably edit that out because he doesn't need people to know where he lives. My, my point was, I didn't, I didn't know what Susie, because there's a brilliant song by a French singer called uh, Sans Souci. Uh oh, he's off. Um, who's it by? Oh, God, I can't remember her name. Francoise Harding? No, 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 no. Um, Francois Breur, her name is. The other um, Francois. Sans Souci. So uh, it, it, it means without worry. Yes, without cares. Yeah, yes, without yes, cares. Yes. So it's a lovely name for a street in Belfast it's and, delightful and, and, and unusually optimistic so left, are you going to mix wines I forgot that wasn't my wine I never mix wines never mix wine it's, it's not a cocktail I just it's, it's almost like a reflexive thing I just grab wine that's near me I'll tell you what you do go, go and get some wine yes I'll cover for you because I've got some facts brilliant this is a good opportunity for me to get drunk so Neil Tennant <laughs> here are some facts about Neil Tennant um, he went to St Cuthbert's School 
uh, which is the same school as Sting, and Deck, out of Anton Deck. Uh, he was in a folk band called Dust, uh, which were heavily influenced by the incredible string band. And he was the editor at Marvel UK, um, where his responsibilities were to change language so it was more English. This is the reprints, the black and white reprints of American comics that uh, Marvel UK got. And deciding when the women needed to be redrawn for British editions. I have no idea what that means. I don't know what the difference between American women in comics and English women in comics are. But, a bit odd. Uh, Chris Lowe went to a school called the Arnold School, which sounds posh. Um, and it's the same school that Jenna Coleman of Doctor Who fame went to and Peter Purvis of Doctor Who fame and what's that what's that thing he did with like bikes kickstart or kickstart was it kickstart, kickstart. yeah he did that young man on scramblers um, Chris played trombone in a band called One Under the Eight um, and he met tenant in a hi-fi shop on the King's Road which is in Chelsea Oswald Mosley's black shirts had a barracks there in the 1930s. Wow, this is yeah. a beautiful dom. I know, it totally is. Um, and Thomas Arm composed Rule Britannia at number 215 on the King's Road. Uh, the synthesizer that Neil Tennant was buying in the shop was a Korg MS-10 synthesizer. Mm. Notable users include Abstract Lion, Sneaker Pimps and Peace Men. Um, Jonathan King, um, you know, some stain on his character. Uh, Jonathan John, King, you know. You know, you know, you know Jonathan King. Um, accused the Petro Boys of ripping off Cat Stevens' Wild World for It's a Sin. Huh? He then recorded a version of Wild World in the style of the Petro Boys to prove his point. So the Petro Boys sued him one and gave the money to charity spits good enough for you Jonathan. um and i've actually put that in joke so you can actually play a bit of jonathan king's uh, which does sound a lot like the pet shop obviously to be fair he had a bit of a point it does sound yeah. exactly like how, how did he lose that case yeah but that's the thing about music it's not a it's borrowed it's not just like an original thought Music and melody. Well, you're saying there's no such thing as copyright. Well, there's no such thing of somebody ripping. No one's, no one's ever going to confuse. It isn't going to. It, it doesn't compromise the saleability of, of the Castleton song, does it? Look, I agree with you, and I think like my sweet lord and it's Melody's, a terrible example. He's he so got fun. sued for that. I think it's a murky area. He certainly didn't do it on purpose. If you don't do something on purpose, if you write, do you know how many people have accidentally written "creep," including Radiohead, by the way? It's one of the most copied sequence of chords. In music, yeah, because it's the air that I breathe by. Um, but it's yeah, but it's. I, 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 don't I think, think they have a writing credit on it now. Do they? Yeah, I thought it was written by Albert Hammond Senior. Whoever wrote it, whoever wrote it, whoever wrote it, yeah. you know, has a writing credit on on Creep. But there are just certain melodies that are just in the air. No, I agree. I'm not saying it's a sin as one of them, though. I'm also saying that I'm glad that Jonathan King lost his case. Always that wonky mouth predator yeah. deserves everything he gets. Do you remember there was a time when Jonathan King was looked at? Invented Genesis. Do you remember that happened? Yeah. Um, Name them. He also went hunting for underage boys in nightclubs in Essex, didn't he? The Waltham Bop. 
Yeah. Like, go on. You were there. That's what I meant when I said spit's good enough for you. It's a famous quote. Oh, oh Christ. Yes, yes, I think I was talking yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't just throw this together, Joe. There's, there's every, a reason everything, for everything. Everything is... There's yeah. a reason for everything. Yeah. Again, John, unlike it couldn't happen here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. If I was writing it couldn't happen here, it would at least have a story. You, you would have a backup to explain why Joss Ackland is yeah. gurning and shouting boys every 30 seconds. <laughs> Saying... I smell youth, vintage. Are you doing Jonathan King or Joss Ackland? That's Joss Ackland, uh, <laughs> but it could be Jonathan King. But there was a time, around the time this film came out, Jonathan King was one of the doyens of youth culture, TV uh, becoming more youth-friendly. What was the name of his Entertainment, Entertainment uh, USA. USA. Yeah. He also had a slot on Top of the Pops, didn't he? Where yeah. he reported from the States about the hot new hits coming, coming stateside. That man was front and centre of pop culture. Yeah. Baffling. A middle-aged public schoolboy yeah, yeah. who had produced Una Paloma Blanca was telling young people what music to listen to. Like a creepy, posh Randy Newman. Yeah. A really odd man. And his defence, after terrible deeds had been found out, he did some kind of wildian bullshit, didn't he? Some justification about being punished for love, etc., etc. I think, he did, I think he did his own version of De Profundis or something. The Ballad of Reading. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, did it involve the lyrics but to, then uh, again everybody's it, gone to the moon he's to that because he wrote Bible 2 didn't he what <laughs> he wrote a book called Bible 2 uh-huh. it wasn't a copy of, it wasn't a version of the Bible yeah it was just a, an attention seeking title what, he yeah, thought well, well Bible that's 2 him. that's a great title Is, uh, uh, very, tragically he was all mouth and no trousers <laughs> just put some trousers on Jonathan oh my god just a day. Oh my and god! And also, your mouth is very unpleasant. The way you're doing that thing with your lip, I don't know what's. Going. It's like a lasso. Jonathan King made you relieved to see Timmy Mallet. It's good that the Pet Shop Boys were on the right side of the Jonathan King thing by being taken to the court by him. Let's face it, the Pet Shop Boys have been the right side of history on everything, pretty much. Whoa, that's a big, haven't they? That's a big haven't statement. They? That's a big statement. Aren't they generally considered to be a force for good? Mm, they're, they're certainly they're like pop stars with a conscience, I suppose. Yeah. You expect that out of any decent human being. Hang on, you say that. We expect that from any decent human being. These are pop stars. They have access to vast troughs of money and huge amounts of cocaine. And historically, every single pop star has made a series of terrible decisions. Well, that's exactly why I'm relieved that I never became a pop star. Well, you'd be dead. I think we'd both be dead. Yeah, I think I would be. I'd be dead or Caligula. Um... I love that game Dead or Caligula <laughs> Which is it going to be Go either, either way Not very nice to know No Whereas I'm very pleasant now And everyone likes well, me You've lived You've lived a bit Weathered a few storms Come out the other lived end Lived a of bit it. I've lived 50 fucking years That's a bit That's, that's a, a bit That's too much You're older than the director If it couldn't happen here You would not direct Such infantile nonsense I know I've seen your film Yeah I mean, It's a different kind of Infantile nonsense Altogether A much yeah. more accomplished Very accomplished you did say something quite interesting. I thought the longer you did it, the better the filmmaking became. It was literally I, learning I on the job. I've heard it here first. I said something quite interesting. You literally learned on the job. I. That's that's exactly right. You can actually see it in real time because we shot them in order. Yeah. So that the first one is static and I don't really have a clue. I was so shy on the first day yeah. that I didn't dare say action or cut because it seemed ridiculous. And so the, for the entire first morning of doing the shoot, I didn't say anything at all. And actually, Kian was doing the direct. Um, 
and eventually I just went this is stupid I have to do it and then I was cutting far too soon because like I'm used to, the only the only experience I had of directing anything at all was seeing was watching things on films where directors will come in and they'll go they'll do a massive tumultuous love scene and they go oh my darling I love you oh my darling I love you and that would be the end of the scene and the director would go cut beautiful okay yeah. print that not what you do because you used to do that with film but now what you do because you've got video or yeah. whatever digital uh, you just let it run for five and, and there's no minutes board? there's no cover board anything like that disappointing did you get a chair with well, your I name think, on it I think most people a folding have. chair with your name on it no oh disappointing I didn't, I didn't sit down all week I was knackered um, I think most people do get a clapperboard but we didn't get one of those because it was a very I suppose we're, we're all aware of the cliches or the stereotypes about what filmmaking entails yeah you, but you're almost afraid to use those in case they are stereotypes oh John are you doing no one does that to be fair I was wearing uh, jodfers and a monocle throughout so I mean yeah, but, I, yeah, I but you yeah, just come back from the gymkhana that's yeah, a, it was a Tuesday <laughs> <laughs> a hard afternoon riding oh you know, hard, that's why you weren't sitting down for hard a in the saddle. Side saddle, though. Come on. Yeah, my, my farmers were screaming. <laughs> the reason I ask you about your filmmaking is because it seems like Jack Bond did not learn on the job, and from scene one to the final reel of film, but nothing. Jack, Jack Bond had been making films for at least twenty years at that point. You can see that he can direct a film. What you can't see is that he can write a film. When you haven't really long, boring scenes of. Um, whoever's Gareth Hunt Gareth Hunt Barbara Windsor Neil Dixon just chuntering on for fucking hours you've got really good ambient stuff going yeah. on the whole time there's some really lovely stuff yeah. it's um, not enough to sustain a film though no it's a grand folly realistically we should be in favour of that we should come uh, uh, out yes. we should come out of this in favour of this film I'm all for it as an object but it's not that it exists as yes, a, as a special magical thing I've come out of it realising that as, as much as I love artifice and mm. everything is performative and pretension is not a dirty word at the end of the day you have to have something going on yeah. you, you don't just go on and spunk stuff onto a screen a unicorn a man in a dinner jacket on a bicycle Gareth Hunt with, with rouge cheeks Biggles playing Batman that's not enough that's just a, a jumble of postmodernistic nonsense Basically, yeah. masquerading as art, and I think even even Neil Tennant recently, I think it was recently, said Jack, the director and myself, didn't often agree on the, some of the choices that he made. He's saying that Neil Tennant's distance himself. That's exactly, in, in a, <laughs> but in a very, a very civil way, like he would a very decent civil. Way. He hasn't said that was fucking awful, but we didn't always agree. Yeah. on the decision making. I mean, they did work decisions. together after this. It wasn't the end of the so relationship. So he didn't entirely disagree. No, and apparently there was rumours of a sequel. There was talk of a sequel, but then thank fuck they got. Paid enough money to go into her life instead. Yeah, and they got Derek Jarman in to make the fucking films. And did they get Joss Ackland as a? I think Joss Ackland. Of the touring company to this day. Yeah, he doesn't. It doesn't. You know. Nobody's told his grieving widow that. (laughs) (laughs) He's the beats man. Boys, can't. No.
No. Come, Lieutenant. But I remember as a pop fan who bought Smash Hits at that in 1987 still. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I remember being aware of the film, but I saw it as something exotic that I, I would never watch because I wouldn't get access to it. It was on cinemas. It was incredibly arty. But if I'd seen it at the time, as I've said before, I don't think I would have continued liking the picture. I would have found it difficult to find a way into them. Well, thank God you never saw it at the time. Thank Christ. Yeah. We wouldn't be here today. Long history of uh, loving the Pet Shop Boys. Not watching. Joe, yes? what is your favourite Pet Shop Boys song? I was literally about to ask you oh. that. Great stillmates think alike. There you go. <laughs> That's what happens when you run out of questions and things to talk about. This is, we've only started the questions. Well, after this, I was going to ask you where you get all your ideas from, but let's talk about the Pet Shop Boys first. <laughs> Please don't ask me that. Well, what's your favourite Pet Shop Boys song? I know what mine is. I'm going to say Left to My Own Devices. Shit, I was going to say that. But yeah, I know you were going to say that, but uh, it's true. It's, it's amazingly good. It's, it's incredible. It might be their definitive song. It's the song that best describes the Pet Shop Boys. The way you said the opening scene of It Couldn't Happen Here crystallises the entire movie. Yeah. That song is the Pet Shop Boys. For better and for worse, it crystallises the entire film. Yeah. Because it looks interesting, it's fun, and it does nothing. Um, whereas, you know, Left to My Own Devices is... Elegant, effortless, it feels effortless. Sophisticated. The, the, the thing about... Right, the difference between Neil Tennant's lyric writing and Morrissey's lyric writing, if they're the Smiths you can dance to, is that you're right. There is an elegance and... A lightness. A lightness to what Neil Tennant well, Marcy does. Marcy chews every line to ring meaning out of it. You know, the, 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 the bit about, uh, you know, we, we both give up smoking, so whose matches are those? That's one of my favourite lines. Poetry, of beautiful words. That was the first time I possibly awestruck by a lyric. Incredible. I saw it in Wogan's you, You're a Lloyd Cole fan. What are you talking about? Yes, but you forget I was at a certain age. I would have been 14 then. I came to Lloyd Cole Oh yeah, that's right. You're younger than me, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. I so I saw so hard on Wogan at the age of four. John Poole's <laughs> ugly face. Let's yeah, just yeah. say. Well, for the first time in his long life, <laughs> the wind will change and it'll stay yeah, like that. Exactly. But, but you're right. It's funny you should pick that lyric. That is a definitive lyric in my yeah in my formative experience of pop. It's done so as you said. It's throwaway. Every line he does, it's like he couldn't care less. He's just narrating. Whereas Morrissey emphasising every line he's protesting too much that he's clever it's because he isn't <laughs> in my old age again with the benefit of wisdom I've come to possibly realise that he's not as smart or nor indeed his lyrics are as interesting as I once thought they were yeah I mean you're but, a buck but, girl from Luxembourg but the thing about Morrissey again I mean we just end up talking about Morrissey we do all roads lead to Morrissey and uh, it was meant to be Roxy Music but it's always Morrissey it's the he's an autodidact and he, he is embarrassed by his lack of learning. But he's also a dogmatic megalomaniac. He just hungers what he's decided to be interested in. Yeah. You know, which is a very narrow, a very narrow field. But I understand the impulse. I understand the fact well, that yeah, you know, well, he's trying to prove something and he's successively trying to prove something. And he will never stop attempting to prove that. But with ever decreasing circles, ever diminishing returns. Yeah. And, the, and he'll double down on, on anything that he does because he, he will not brook any argument that he's wrong in any situation. Safe to say he's in a non-Asian rut right now. I like what you did there. Yeah. Although, statistically, he's 17% Mongolian. Put that in your pipe, Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how we stop this. 